everyone and welcome to the History Hotline, the hottest line for all things black history and beyond. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 74 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lynn Cook and I, as always, will be your host today. Now, today's episode, we're going probably as far back historically as I've ever been on this podcast and we're going to be thinking about the Ivory Bangle Lady. Now, whilst... In a way, this history is recent in some ways because of the discovery. You know, the time we're actually thinking about is Roman Britain. So the fourth century. So we're going back really, really far back. Um, I'm out of my comfort zone, I'll be honest. You know, I think the majority of the histories I've done on here, 20, 20th century, 21st century. Um, so to take us all the way back to... 400, 300 and something AD um, is, you know, quite far. But bear with me because we're going to be thinking about um, archaeology, uh, finding the remains of the Ivory Bangle Lady, what that meant for Roman Britain, what that means for migration, what it means for maybe even multiculturalism and how we think about it in the context of Roman Britain. And also what we think about archaeology and, you know, the tools that archaeologists have at their disposal to use to find out things I didn't even know were possible from essentially a pile of bones and remains. The first written record of African people in Britain dates all the way back to the 3rd century AD, And they would have come via movements of people within the Roman Empire, which, due to its expansive span, do things like military, trade, um, and, of course, civilian migrations that were both voluntary and forced. Um, All different kinds of people will have travelled within the empire, and Britain was part of the Roman Empire um, in the 3rd century and into the 4th century. This would have created what we might now think about as like a multicultural time. I don't think they would have described it as that. It would have just been, you know, the state of the place, um, a result of trade. But, you know, looking back, there would have been so many different people moving around due to trade patterns um, and the military and military movements um, that it would have it would have looked very colourful, very multicultural um, looking back. Um, David Olasoga in his book Black and British actually notes that, and I quote, key discoveries relate to some 200 remains that were discovered in York in finds made by chance over the course of the 19th and 20th century. When the story of Peter Fryer wrote in his book Stay in Power in 1984, he noted that among the skeletons exhumed were several whose in proportion suggested that there were black Africans. And 30 years later, forensic sciences confirmed what in the 1980s was a mere suspicion to be true. And so David Osoga is kind of honing in on the point that, you know, it was assumed that there would have been African people in Britain at a very early you know, point. However, those actual discoveries weren't made until a little bit later on. Um, Peter Fryer writing in 1984, publishing in 1984, and the ivory bangle lady who we're thinking about today is discovered, or her remains are discovered in 1901 in York near a place called Sycamore Terrace. And her skeleton was found 
and it was found of a woman, um, which they fig- obviously figured out later because there were bones, not actual, you know, a person. Um, and, you know, she was named, dubbed, um, labelled as the Ivory Bangle Lady. And these remains were believed to date back all the way to the second half of the 4th century. Now, as I said, during the 4th century, Britain is under Roman rule. Um, they also like lose Britain in this century too. Um, but And by the year, I think, 410, give or take, Britain was completely out of Roman control. Um, but, you know, if you have something like empire that colonises or, you know, takes over a country... The culture, the, like, remains, the beliefs, the traditions pretty much hold unless, you know, there's a very strong new leader um, or a new empire that takes over. And with Britain, in the case of the Roman Empire, there wasn't really anything substantially strong that came immediately after. So, you know, cultural traditions would have carried on in Britain under kind of a Roman backdrop, shall we say. Um, And... The remains of the ivory bangle lady were found within a stone coffin um, with jet and elephant ivory bracelets, um, hence her name, earrings, pendants, beads, a blue glass jug and a glass mirror. She's also found, interestingly, with a rectangular um, like mount of bone, um, which may have come from a wooden casket or something similar that was unrecorded. And the bone, like the mount of bone, had like um writing on it, um kind of an inscription, that kind of thing, which in Latin read "Soro ave vivas in Deo," which I probably butchered because I've never done Latin before. Um, but in English that means "Hail sister, may you live in God," which in some ways indicates Christian beliefs, um, because that is literally a reference to the Lord. Um, And that may have been honoured in her burial process, in her death, by the people that buried her, that were responsible. However, this is something that's disputed by the other items in her grave because um, they tend to lean towards a different belief system, a pagan belief system. Also, the alignment of her grave, which was in a north-south arrangement, as opposed to an east-west arrangement, suggests she was a pagan. Um, And so those elements of Christianity... Um, that mount of bone that read, um, you know, hail sister, may you live in God, that suggests that they might have come from connections she had within the Christian community as opposed to her own faith um, and her own kind of belief system. And maybe they thought she needed an inscription that referenced God um, in her like burial process, in her casket. Um, everything was quite, I think, intentional in the layout of her casket and her the way her body was lying and the way her... Um, possessions were around her as well so um, you know it suggests that her burial wasn't one of low status she wasn't someone of low status because her burial seems to be um, very you know not well thought out but actually put together in a ceremonial intentional way one of the most interesting things about her story is I think anyway the archaeological processes science scanning testing checking used to figure out the things about her, like the fact that she's believed to be of North African descent, not only due to um, her kind of remains, her bones, but also due to the objects she was buried with. Um, It's believed she would have been of high status within Roman York. She wouldn't have been an enslaved person. Yet the narrative we're often told is that 
African people in Britain would have been enslaved. Um, and this is clearly not the case. As early as the 4th century in York, she would have been a high-status woman um, buried with high-value items, um, as well as, um, you know, the understanding that archaeological digs um, and archaeologists got from her bones, um, which we'll get into. Um, research shows that she would have been around 18 to 23, um, which obviously sounds very young in today's time, but maybe in the year 400, that would have been a reasonable time to pass. Um, she would have been approximately 152 to 160 centimetres, um, and this was figured out through a regression analysis of her limb bone length. And I'm really sorry, well, I'm not sorry, but just bear with some of these technical scientific terms that are coming out of my mouth. I don't completely understand what they mean. I've done my research, though. I'm getting my head around some of them. Um, but it's fascinating to me at some of the processes um, that, you know, they put these remains through. Um, so to figure out that she was of North African ancestry, um, they would have done something called a craniometric multivariate analysis, which cranium, cranium, brain, um, the skull, they would have used her skull, you know, you get there with the words. Um, and in simple terms is an analysis of the skull, amongst other things. And David Olasoga, he really does get into these processes in his book, uh, Black and British, which I was going through this week. Um, and he notes that the innovation that's transforming our understanding of the presence of African people in Roman Britain is the process of radioisotope analysis. So another scientific technique for you that uses oxygen and strontium isotopes to detect chemical signatures in bones and teeth. Um, this allows the archaeologists to determine where individuals originated and where they spent their childhood years. By means of these techniques, we can distinguish individuals born and brought up in hot climates from those who come from colder regions and establish where the remains unanswered in Britain belong to locals or outsiders. Sorry, whether the remains um, obviously left behind belong to people that would have been born and raised in Britain, a colder climate, or outsiders from a warmer climate like North, North Africa, the Mediterranean, or, you know, even further afield. Um, and this obviously helps people with interest in the past, it helps historians to understand things like migration, mobility, even within ancient populations as far back as the Romans. Um, and, you know, these skeletons, these remains left behind of these people, tell us such intricate stories of the past in a way that modern modern history can't. And I really love modern history. You'll know that this is the earliest podcast that has ever existed. And I am already preparing next week's episode, which takes us straight back to 1960 and even later, because I can't bear to be outside of the 20th century for very long. But it is fascinating all the same. Um, and part of the reason to share that with you today. Um, there are so many other processes as well that allow archaeologists to figure out, you know, things about the person or the remains of the person. And one of the really interesting things I found was that you can actually use the teeth, um, the remains, teeth remains, um, to actually go as far as finding out the diet of the person. And, you know, in a time like that, once you find out the diet of a person and the types of food they would have eaten, you can put them in a social class. You can even put them in a culture in some cases. Um, and it was the ivory bangle lady. Her teeth were in very good condition. And it 
you know, was figured out that she would have enjoyed a healthy diet, um, she would not have lived life in a lowly status or enslaved. She would have been a high status woman. Um, due to things like, obviously, we've mentioned the items she's buried with, but also her teeth. Who would know that you could do that? Um, you know, they can go as far as saying her diet would have been rich in fish and vegetables because of the chemicals on the remnants of the teeth. Now, I, I am not a scientifically minded person, but that, for me, is just phenomenal. And just don't you just love when all the different disciplines work together to just figure out really cool stuff about the past? Well, I do. Um, and, you know, as we mentioned, ra- radioisotope analysis the craniometric multivariate analysis, um, processes of radiocarbon, they all can place this woman just from her remains and the things in her coffin and the way she's buried um, to a certain time and place. And that time and place is Roman Britain and more specifically York. Now, I think that there are some ethical issues when we think about this kind of research because you know, exhuming human remains from their place of rest, some might argue it's very disrespectful um, to the dead and unethical. And, you know, then going on to display them in museums, their remains, or to have them on show, um, even though, you know, they're so far from the time they would have been alive as people. There is um, a very big argument to suggest this is unethical. Um, And some of it just sits a bit strangely with me, the fact that there are remains of people being dug up but just the possibilities and what you can find out about the past I not something I can can fall either either way or on either side of that debate um I think I'm in a place of the sitting on the fence with this one but again something to think about um the ethical side of of this kind of uh, research um interestingly enough I mentioned Roman Britain York in particular it seems to be the case, <laughs> um, and a joke made is that uh, Roman Roman York seems to be, in some ways, more multicultural in the fourth century than York does today <laughs> in twenty twenty two, just because of the you know skulls that were found that I mentioned before. Um, around two hundred, I think it's eleven to twelve percent of them would have said to have been um, people from North Africa and from the continent. Um, and it really does contradict this idea that people from Africa only arrived enslaved in a much, much later time period, um, and they would have all come as low status. The wealth that that woman would have come with and probably had connections to the military and maybe was moving around with people in the military, uh, family members, or otherwise, um, because that part of York was actually um, quite... Um, a strong base for the Roman army um, with and a significant military settlement, she had a number of luxury goods in her grave. That speaks to her lifestyle and it speaks to the lifestyle of other people that would have been similar to her, migrating for similar reasons. There's a clear mobility that existed um, that, you know, shows that <laughs> third century York, fourth century York would a little bit maybe more ethnically and racially diverse than York now. Um, which is just, you would never, how would you ever know that otherwise, you know? Dr. Hella Eckhart, um, who is a senior lecturer at the University of Reading, says, and I quote, um, to date, we've had to rely on evidence of such foreigners in Roman Britain from inscriptions, 
However, by analysing the facial features of the ivory bangle lady, measuring her skull compared to reference populations, analysing the chemical signature of the food and drink she consumed, as well as evaluating the evidence from the burial site, we are now able to establish a clear profile of her ancestry and social status. So again, um, the point being made here is that, you know, the evidence that is left by the remains of this uh, woman are so much more helpful in terms of, you know, pulling out these stories of people that would otherwise have been misunderstood, under-researched and ignored, um, because you wouldn't necessarily think to look for African people in Roman Britain. Um, and as um, Dr Heller notes, it was only kind of inscriptions that provided evidence for foreign people in Roman Britain and, and gave us more information about Roman Britain. However, her remains, the skull measurements, chemical signatures on her teeth, the things she was buried with, those are the things that really create a clear picture of, of what that time was like and the variety of social statuses, ancestry and, like, you know, the differences that people would have been holding in that time. The ivory bangle lady um, and her remains were not the only remains to be found and the University of Reading's Department of Archaeology have excavated around 200 um, other skulls in York which were found to be of mixed ethnic ancestry. As I mentioned, around 11 to 12% of them proved to be of African descent, suggesting that the ivory bangle lady was not a one-off in this situation um, and having made this move, this migration, potentially following the Roman um, army and, you know, coming to York, which was a military settlement um, and accompanying maybe family members or other people that were making this move mostly men would have made this move another misconception potentially the only men would have made this move and migrated um, at this time having the remains of a woman make sure that women are written into this history um, and understood to be a part of this north african women at that um you know without things like these remains the picture that we paint of roman britain is a lot different and it's a similar thing that's happening or you know this sorry her remains were found in 1901 so these uncovers this uncovered histories um a lot earlier than say for example texts that are coming out in the last 10 years about the black tudors and research that have been done on the tapestries um, of the tudor times that have suggested there are actually black people living in those time periods as well so with different kind of methods and different ways of investigating the past, we are able to understand and to see the difference that would have existed, the diversity, you know, the multiculturalism, if you want to call it that, of different parts of Britain in different time periods. And the Ivory Bangle Lady is just one example. There are other examples of remains found, the Beachy Head Lady, um, who an episode I might do an episode on her as well not that her story is too much different but you know the way in which she was found and the different time periods as well that it speaks of again it's just very interesting and it's it's a different methodology to what I'm used to in terms of looking at more modern history watching a video reading a speech that was said or thinking about you know people 
in a different context in a different way um this provides us with a different picture um and a different way of seeing that and that is pretty much all there is to share about the ivory bangle lady i will say that one limitation of looking at history so far gone <laughs> is you know what is accessible to you and and what you can and cannot know about that time period because it was so long ago and the methods of collecting data and you know holding information are very different um however I, w- I am interested i am really interested to to see what people think about maybe the ethics of exhuming bodies and archaeological digs because sometimes i see pe- them people historians archaeologists digging um in egypt and you know going into these tombs where people would have been mummified and buried and I don't know sometimes it feels like it's too far maybe because I'm living in that time now whereas you know the fact that it happened in 1901 with the ivory bangle lady and now we reap the rewards of that history maybe I'm looking at it with a different lens but I'd be interested to know what you think so you know on the instagram twitter do leave a comment um about your thoughts uh, if you have any at all I think I'm still sitting on the fence with it because I love the history but I don't know imagine I'm thinking about me now in like let's say however many years a thousand years thousand five hundred years like if someone dug up my bones (laughs) and was oh yeah we found this girl she would have been of Caribbean descent she's had a nice diet of (laughs) chicken wings i don't know well i don't know what they'll be able to know at that point they probably can tell you what i did every single day um the way that science and technology develops but yeah would you how would you feel to to know you you might be exhumed in 1500 years a very weird thought um and i think that that tells me it's probably time to stop talking and let you go on about your day because i'm thinking about very random things but I want to thank you for listening and hope you enjoyed a somewhat different episode. Um, You know, it's always good to mix things up. Let me know what you think about it and have a wonderful week. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the History Hotline. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend to tell a friend. To continue the conversation about black history, head over to our social media platforms at the History Hotline on Instagram and at the History HL on Twitter.